Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. Thank you so much for listening. Before we get into the meat of today's show, I just wanted to say thank you to everyone who has left reviews on iTunes. It's a really great way to let people know about this podcast. If you're enjoying it, please uh, do leave a review. Um, And uh, Instagram stories has also been a fun way that people have let others know about the podcast. Um, If you take a screenshot and share in stories and tag School for the Dogs on Instagram, we will reshare it. And it really feels good to know that um, we're reaching people. So today I am talking to my friend, fellow dog trainer Jessica Jacobson, who has her own dog training business in New York City. And uh, I wanted to talk to her both to just find out how she got into dog training and built her business, but also specifically because she has something of an expertise on preparing dogs for the arrival of a baby. And I have a baby on the way, so I was hoping she might be able to uh, give me some tips on getting Amos, my, uh, my Yorkie poo, ready for this life event. Hello, hi, um, my name is Jessica and my company is called Dapper Dog Training and I'm stoked to be here. And we've known each other actually for a long time now. Yeah. We met in Atlanta at the APDT. Dog conference. Dog conference. Yes, Um, 30,000 years ago. 2010, it was. I remember it was 2010 because it was right after I finished uh, Karen Pryor Academy. Oh, yes. Was that the first time you'd ever been to the association? It's APDT is the Association for Professional Dog Training. Yes. For those who do not um, know. I think it was my second conference uh, or maybe my first. I don't remember. But I remember when I saw you and we had gotten together because I think I was listed on the APDT website as having a dog trainer meetup. Yeah. Yeah. Which is actually also, I think, how I met Kate yes. was through your meetup. Um, but that was like a real seminal moment for me because it was the first time that I was sort of immersed in a group of dog trainers outside of the two other people in my class at KPA. It's like social crack. (laughs) Yeah, it was. But it was also, it was just so interesting to meet people doing it, um, like all people from all over the country and and also meeting different kinds of dog trainers Mm -hmm. and because Association Professional Dog Training is not strictly... um, One type of philosophy. One type of philosophy. Right, there's a lot of... There's a big bag. Yeah. Yeah. Of nuts. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we met there. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and uh, eight years, nine years later, we're both running our own businesses in New York City. And the reason why I wanted to talk to 
you today specifically is I am eight and a half months pregnant, <laughs> if you didn't notice, which <laughs> barely. <laughs> you can't not notice. I'm massive. Um, and uh, people keep asking me how I am preparing my dog, Amos, who is a 13 and a half year old Yorkie poo. Oh my how gosh, she's 13, she's 13 now. Yeah, but he's still my puppy. Yeah. Um, how I'm preparing him for the baby and if he notices and, um, I'm kind of embarrassed to say like, I, I, I haven't really even thought about it that much. <laughs> I don't think he notices. I <laughs> I've heard some really weird stories actually. About dogs noticing? Or maybe doing things that you might not realize are noticing. Hmm. I had one woman who said that her dog immediately started sniffing her ear more. Really? Right as she became pregnant. And she sort of like figured out the timing and realized that it was sort of like almost to the day that wow. she might have conceived. You're licking. Yeah. I do feel like he's become a little like... No, you're sniffing. You're sniffing. Hmm. He was like hmm. almost as if the rabbit test, but the ear sniffing test. What's the rabbit test? It's a really old archaic way of testing uh, if a woman is pregnant. Using a rabbit? Uh, yeah, it's a not a fun description, but it has to do with injecting the rabbit with the uh, blood from a pregnant or non-pregnant woman and seeing if it kills the rabbit. <laughs> and if it does, you're pregnant. Wow. That's how they used to tell, ask the rabbit. I have never heard that before. I hope that's before. right. Someone's going to go look it up and report into wow. you. Wow. Well, Amos has definitely been a little extra affectionate, but I don't know if that's just because he's, you know going through a phase of loving me more than he used to. <laughs> <laughs> well, but, definitely. I always wondered if they couldn't hear a second heartbeat. Oh, yeah. I wonder. Well, there's so much that we, we don't know about how, how they, I guess, perceive things going on with our body. There's certainly evidence that dogs can smell cancer and sure. diabetes and seizures. Internal, and, internal uh, bleeding. Wow, yeah. Um, but anyway, I specifically wanted to talk to you today because I know that you have something of a specialty in the uh, on the topic of preparing dog owners for having babies, which yep. is uh, let's back up a little bit. Tell me about how you got interested in dog training to begin with. I know you you had a mentor who was very important to you, right? I did, and um, so originally I was in advertising. Uh, and, and did you go to college and then do advertising after college? Yeah, or? I did. I kind of shot around a little bit, so I went to uh, college at Vassar for philosophy. <laughs> And uh, then I was a paralegal, and I uh, didn't find much reasoning in that. So then I switched to advertising, uh, found even less reasoning in that. And then I decided to quit, didn't know what I was going to do. And my parents sort of forced me to take a find your dream career workshop, which I recommend to everybody. It happens twice a year at NYU. Wow. And I remember the name of the lady who was my professor. It was a one-day workshop, and her name was Marilyn Ullman. Name drop. Um, find what's it called? Find your career passion. What? <laughs> well, I, I did remember it, but now I'm flummoxed by your <laughs> wording. Um, <laughs> find your dream career. Wow, I mean, it's it's a workshop on, um, you know, not pigeonholing uh, somebody who you know or whoever's in the workshop for what you think they might be good at. Oh, you like animals? People would say to me, "Be a veterinarian." Uh, right? Or, I, I mean, that's. That's actually one reason why I wanted to do this, uh, start this podcast to begin with, was to be able to talk to people who are doing interesting things with animals that are not veterinarians. Right. Because I never, it would never, 
I mean, as a kid, I remember someone suggested to me, you're really good with dogs. You should be a dog trainer. But it seemed like not a serious suggestion. Well, you know, that's like amazing the, like that someone the only, suggested that. The, well, yeah. But it seemed to, like at the time, it was like she might have well have said, like, you should grow up and be a plumber. Like, it didn't <laughs> seem like something you could aspire to be the way, like, you know, you could aspire to be a vet. Yeah. But dog trainers to me seem like people who just come in and fix something and leave. Well, and, I do feel uh, like an ambulance worker at times. Well, yeah. I mean, <laughs> well, there certainly is an aspect to that. But yeah. Um, anyway. But I also feel a real noble cause in what we do. We actually have way more of a personalized relationship with our clients. Um, and there's the idea that, um, you know, we have more of a holistic change or mm-hmm. ability to change a dog's life. Yeah. You know? Well, in people's lives, too. Yeah. So you went to this workshop and how did how did it uh, how did you come to the conclusion that dog well, training was something you should pursue? There is um, a bunch of questions that she would and I still have the work papers and people often ask me for them. But it's it there's a lot of thought experiments based around the idea that you either have a whole lot of money or a whole of less a whole lot less time and what you would fill all of that time with if you could use your resources the way you wanted. Um, so for me, it was basically, at the end of the day, either fashion, which sounds like a horrible way to spend my time, <laughs> maybe not everyone else, because I do love fashion, but not on a daily basis climbing the ranks, um, or dogs. And at that point, it just sort of clicked. I'd always been interested in behavior, um, and I wanted to control my own schedule, and I wanted to sort of be my own boss at that time, and it just clicked. Oh, that's so cool. I came to it, to it in a similar way, although not with not in a class, but I was spending a lot of time at the dog run with my dog writing lists of like things I like to do, like kind like, of trying to figure out like if I, if I had to spend all my time doing one thing. And then at some point I was like, I like to sit at the dog park and look at dogs and talk to people about their dogs <laughs> and read about dogs. So maybe I should be <laughs> doing something with dogs. 10 years later. Yeah. Um, so what was your first step after that? Um, so my first step after that was I uh, I had already had planned to move into my grandmother's home in Vermont, and I was a volunteer at a horse stable, which was uh, teaching kids how to ride horses, which was actually a fabulous primer to dog training, because if you can teach a kid how to ride a horse, mm-hmm. um, you might have a good time. Uh, well, don't we always say that animal trainers are the only kind of tra- uh, teachers who have to work with two species at once? <laughs> I never heard that. <laughs> I find that the kids are akin to the adults and the, the horses are kind of like the dogs. So, hmm. you know, it's kind of like a kid saying, I'm not scared. And the person's like, you know, lying about something that their dog is doing because they feel bad. But um, in any case, so I, I worked at the horse stable and I... Uh, I think I even hired Marilyn to be my uh, coach for uh, actually entering the professional field, which it turns out that I was a little bit farther ahead than most of the people in the class because I decided what I wanted to do. So um, I contacted, you know, all the people in the country that I thought looked like good or uh, popular dog trainers, and I asked them how they got their start. Um, But it occurred to me just sort of naturally that this seemed like the kind of profession you would become an apprentice for. You just would have to sit at somebody's side and like shine their boots while they taught you. Um, And so I just knocked on some doors. And the first door that I knocked on was my mentor. And his name was Gary. 
And um, sadly, Gary is gone now, but uh, he taught me a lot of golden rules that I don't know if I'm going to share. <laughs> it's okay. You can keep your secret sauce to yourself. Um, <laughs> but for the first six months, all he did was like watch tennis. and <laughs> What? Yeah. I think he really just was like an old dude who wanted to hang out with a young lady. and Watch tennis? <laughs> yeah. He would be like, if you're, and then the other thing was I had to bike. If I wanted to come to any sessions, I had to bike along with him in the city. <laughs> he was like 72 and I could barely keep up with him. Um, Were their dog training lessons imparted while watching tennis and biking? No. <laughs> <laughs> um, not at all. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, I worked at the uh, horse stable, came back, and I sort of just like st started sitting in on his sessions. And um, he was he'd been doing it for a little while at that time. So he had a couple of um, clients that he had me just maybe teaching like a couple of simple tricks to and stuff like that when they weren't around, if they were boarding and training at his home. Um, but I think that's where I really learned what clients, uh, as dogs were going to be sort of, um, like just to have some perspective on the dog training industry and what it was like to be a professional dog trainer, as opposed to just immediately starting to learn the actual training to, of a dog. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I actually taught myself most of that, unfortunately. <laughs> but um, so, yeah, that was how I got my start. And then I also, you know, started taking some online classes, I think, which is a really tough sort of decision tree for a lot of people who are mm -hmm. wanting to maybe enter the professional world of dog training is, you know, what direction do I go in? And a lot of people don't know what their philosophy is. So I actually started to follow around. A couple of trainers I followed around, not only Gary, who was a positive trainer, but was a crossover trainer, meaning he used to do punishment. And I didn't know the spectrum, you know, where was his punishment starting and ending and where was his positive training starting and ending. And it wasn't until I followed around some punishment trainers that I got to see that perspective mm -hmm. um, and get clear on what my philosophy was going to be. Um, and that was how I chose um, some online classes to take and what books to read. Um, and then, you know, pretty soon I uh, started doing some other things. I started working at Water for Dogs, which was the dog rehab oh, right, center. I remember that. Mm -hmm. yeah. And that was a wonderful way to start, you know, looking at a lot of um, rehab that could help animals that were also suffering at the same time that they were having mm -hmm. emotional. Water for Dogs was in Tribeca, and they have a pool there, and they have um, water therapy for dogs. Mm -hmm. and, um, that's so interesting. I feel like it's funny because I... I came one thing i love about talking to dog trainers about how they became dog trainers is like no two people have the same story you wildly know, different all the right? time yeah it's not like you know i went to law school and then <laughs> i became a lawyer it's uh, every single person has a different um path that they've taken and for me i i when i when i uh started at karen Pryor academy i really went in knowing nothing i mean i the idea that there were different philosophies of dog training, I think, like, totally would have made my eyes roll. Yeah. You know, like, oh, philosophies of dog training, like, which in a way I feel like it's it's good that I came from that because I feel like I can see that in other people now. Yeah, uh, and I don't even think it's uh, very clear to owners as well that there might be different philosophies. Whenever I or meet, dif different approaches. Yeah. Different, yeah. And whenever I meet somebody that has somehow plucked through the internet deluge of information and seems to be in line with what I was going to say when I got there I'm frankly shocked and tell them that they should enter the dog training field uh, right? immediately right yeah um yeah it's it's uh wild when that happens 
and exciting. But I felt like, um, you know, I for me, Karen Pryor Academy really just sort of put me on a, a path towards learning more and figuring out what I wanted to learn and how I how I wanted to train. But when I graduated, because it was an online, mostly online course, mm-hmm. you do. Um, you do four weekend workshops over the course of six months, which I got a lot out of, but the weekend workshops were in Binghamton, New York. The guy teaching um, the, the the guy teaching the class who was wonderful that you know you, you work with um, you kind of pick a mentor mm-hmm. based mostly based on location and I worked with this man named Steve Benjamin who was excellent but but he lived in Binghamton, New York, and he wasn't really training himself very much anymore so mm-hmm. I graduated feeling like, okay, well, I know how to train a dog now, but I don't know how to like go into someone's home and oh, interesting, you know, work with them as a client because I've n- I never saw anyone do that. I never saw anyone teach a class, and that was, you know, I think um, I remember in the very beginning, both Kate and I kind of having this like giant fear of actually training. Like we both knew how to train a dog, but. Neither of us knew how to like sit across from someone who knows nothing and impart the information. That is so interesting. And, that's um, that's the, the only thing that I got in the beginning was yeah. to see these people actually learning in a room with their dog and another person mm-hmm. and the massive spectrum of reactions that they might have. Yeah, which is invaluable, I think. And that's, you know, I, I don't know if you know, but we've started an apprenticeship that we've had now for a couple of years. And and uh, part of the goal of the apprenticeship is to kind of like marry those two things. Mm. I think, uh, you know, for me, I, I would definitely recommend Karen Pryor Academy to anyone, but I also think there needs to be some other component, you know, coming out of that. Yeah. And um, and I I was so hungry for that, but I, there was no, you know, I I uh, didn't I didn't, I didn't have, yeah I didn't have the luck that you had of finding well not luck but the just, the, the path that path. you took to find someone to kind of uh, sit in on sit in with there was no obvious person at least in New York City who I wanted to you know follow around like that so it's so cool that you found someone it was could. cool and I did I did actually it was luck right you know because I contacted ten other people that there was no luck uh, with so it just ended up being and he lived ironically you know three blocks from where i was staying mm-hmm. which was on my mother's couch <laughs> <laughs> well i've also found and tell me if you found this uh, that at least in new york city dog training has not generally seemed to be a profession where people are very welcoming of like newbies oh yeah um there is a like, real aspect of are you trying to steal right? my knowledge from me and uh how competition works and i even i came back to the city from living with my grandmother to be, you know, a dog trainer, ended up, you know, getting a dog walking job. And that is an extremely cutthroat industry as well. Mm. And that I ended up having to sign a contract for a non-compete that was binding for five years. And there was, it, it was sort of a rude awakening to the industry. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, people were uh, trying to house me as their apprentice dog trainer at that point. Uh, the owner of the dog walking company, you know, sort of wanted me as his. Mm-hmm. And, wanted, and I, at that point, I'd already signed one contract and I was like, forget about it. I'm not signing anything yeah, else. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, there is a, a real uh, ownership sort of thing. Yeah. Um, but the good news is that as you get to keep going and, you know, you feel confident in what you're doing and um, you start having your own clients 
there's always enough to go around and well that's that's really how I see it I feel like there are enough enough dogs that need training in this yeah. in this city <laughs> yeah um and um anyway let's let's talk about how you uh you developed an interest in helping people with uh bebes. with bebes <laughs> yeah prepare for their babies you know i don't their dogs i don't think there was a moment when i thought this is a niche that i want to enter into i think it maybe was always there just sort of from the beginning um and there were definitely some stories that i thought were really interesting um between the connections that animals have with their um you know human siblings and i think it was i think it was always kind of an interest of mine um, and so I did start, um, doing a little research. Um, but honestly, I think I found out most of what I wanted to know from interviewing my clients that I was working with and, um, working, I love working with families who have children and, um, it, it sort of was like a backwards road, sort of Benjamin Buttoning style, my way from teaching children within homes, how to work with their animals backwards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, I think that's where it developed from. And then I sort of made a manual and I started talking around the city and doing some workshops. And that also was a huge plethora of information that people were giving back to me. Um, and, you know, there was a usually the same issues that people were scared of before the baby was coming. And then a lot of people who contacted me two weeks before the baby was coming. Mm -hmm. Which is kind of the position I'm in. <laughs> Um, what, what kinds of concerns were, 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 slash are common? I found when I was giving workshops that most of the people there didn't have real worrisome issues. They were more nervous about having another, you know, a real baby and how their fur first baby would react mm -hmm. and how to help them get through that transition. Some people had serious issues that I was not prepared to treat in a workshop uh, for everybody. And, um, you know, those often would get referred privately. Sure. Um, I mean, I'm just thinking about it. Like, I think part of the reason that I feel like I've, uh, I don't know, maybe been a little negligent <laughs> in, in proactively preparing my dog for Prudent the baby. parenting. Yeah. Is that I feel like he's pretty bulletproof, you know, like I've traveled a lot with him. He's, you know, I definitely believe socialization is something that is always happening. It's not just, you know, a period that ends. And I feel like he's pretty good at assimilating new things into He's a pretty home. resilient little yeah. guy. But certainly I have, you know, had many clients with very spooky dogs who, you know, I just, uh, you know. <laughs> you just, but, you're worried about the unknown kind of, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, um you know, something as simple as suggesting, you know, maybe you should keep the stroller out before the baby's born. Or, right. A lot yeah. of those little suggestions are really helpful. There's a couple of trainer suggestions out there, he who shall not be named, that are not helpful. There's a lot of mythical, logical stuff that's not even a word um, out there that is not helpful. And sometimes it's really helpful to dispel those oh, myths. Oh, let's talk about it. Okay. <laughs> so, let's name him. <laughs> talk, you, I'm guessing you're talking about Caesar Milan. I am talking about the Caesar. Um <laughs> So I believe, I don't know if he's redacted this in the meantime, but I think he at one point had said to take home the baby hat, which is a very, very, you know, sort of world, you know, um, dispelled myth about taking the baby's hat home mm -hmm. and letting the dog smell it. 
And honestly, in my opinion, I take clothing home every day that my dog has never smelled. And I don't know what they think of it. How is this one? Where are you getting all this weird smelling clothing? (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, as a dog trainer, you come home smelling like something different every day. Something of a dog whore. Um, But so Caesar Milan would have you take it and put it on the other side of the room and make the dog stay away from it, I think, in some sort of like fear Mm. space mongering thing, like distance increasing from the baby hat. I don't know. But that was definitely a myth. And I can't say whether or not the smell of a baby. That seems so counterintuitive. It seems like you should want your dog to be near that smell and like being near that smell. Well, I I don't <laughs> think he's a logical or scientific no. trainer, so <laughs> I won't try to get inside of it. Um, but I have found that. So one, th- I'll just go to the other side of mm-hmm. that, which is what I do is I'll have um, a dog relax, and uh, I call it like a family date mm-hmm. leading up to the birth of the baby where it's like a family relaxing with the animal and doing not necessarily a working toy, but I'll have them light a candle that is pregnancy safe Mm -hmm. and get used to that sort of like scented moment, Mm -hmm. more sort of romantic relaxing date, and then take that scent and put it on some of the baby's paraphernalia when they come home. Take the scent, what scent? The scent, like a lavender, pick like a lavender candle and a lavender scent. Yeah, you would, the mother would pick it Mm -hmm. because she's the scent sensitive one. And um, I like that picking candles as part of this training protocol. <laughs> I could totally do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Maybe that's why I made yeah. it up. I like picking scents. Um, so that was sort of, that's sort of like the other side of that coin. Mm-hmm. Um, what you can sort of, you know, scent association is so strong. Mm. And I'm, my perspective was, well, if you can't control the scent of your baby, mm-hmm. you can put a scent on some of their things, not necessarily True. on the baby itself. Right, right. But um, so that, that's the other side of that coin for me. Um, but a lot of people are worried about, you know, the baby toys, how's the dog going to know the difference? Um, that's a longer, you know, process. Um, a lot of people are worried about, um, the sound of a baby crying and if that's going to stress their dog out. And, you know, as you and I know, there are a lot of dogs who are noise sensitive. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the popular ways for people to prepare for that is to play the sound of a baby crying. Um, mm-hmm. but what, dog trainers know is that you can't or actually all of human civilization knows that a pre-recorded sounding with baby is not necessarily going to be what your baby sounds like mm-hmm. um so the answer to that is to just play a lot of different babies mm-hmm. crying and see what your dog does um and thank, thank god for the internet because otherwise you'd have to like go find all these crying babies yes. and record them. <laughs> yes well the other day i helped someone prepare their dog for a helicopter ride and the oh guy was, was uh, you know, pretty confident that his dog would be fine. She's a pretty confident Samoyed puppy. So, sure, she might be fine. But we played what appeared to be a pre-recorded eight hours of helicopter sound <gasps> from YouTube. And thank God for that. Because she started howling. <laughs> There's someone out there taking eight-hour recordings. Yes. There is a recording of everything. Um, thus, the other sounds that you should be playing. Laughter, gurgling. Mm. Um, and... and- of course, starting at a low volume if necessary. Right. So the key to all of these things with socializing your puppy or your dog to a new baby is playing all of these, you know, sort of new introductions at a level at which you can clearly observe when they're not reacting to when they might be showing some mild stress signals. Um, Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I always do that I found really super helpful is even if there's, you know, one parent um, or a a partnership or multiple people in the family, whoever's going to be caring for the animal, I have them 
record these things and write down their observations separately. Hmm. Because I find that there's really no agreement that needs to be made on whether or not the dog reacted. It really is only about what you saw for yourself and what the other person saw, and then I can make sense of it hmm. as a professional. But I do find that it's very helpful for everybody to record, write down separately, and then review. That's great. That's a great suggestion. I find when I ask people to observe their dogs, it's so hard for people to um, strictly observe and not interpret. Hmm. You know, yeah. They'll say, you know, he was interested in something over there or he was nervous about X, Y, or Z, rather than actually like stating what the dog was doing that made them think the dog was nervous or right or introspective or, or whatever. Yeah, then the important part of that for us, you know, for the audience, so you guys know, is that as a dog trainer, when you come into a situation and someone says, my dog was flipping out, or, you know, went Cujo on someone, <laughs> and you're like, okay, you have no idea whether the dog bit somebody's leg and actually should, you know, the person went to the hospital or if the dog just barked at them and then went right. the other way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, oftentimes our job is to discover whether the person is uh, underwhelming or overwhelming the story. My my favorite piece of body language to, to suggest people tune into is a lip lick. Yeah. Because I think that it's something that every dog, every dog does, you know, a lot. <laughs> I mean, some more than others, but... Um, my my dog just did it today. Something like fell off the couch. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's a self-soothing behavior. One thing that's really helpful for the stress signal list is is the manual that I set, give to people because it comes with pictures. Mm -hmm. And once you start to get into the whole story of that your dog can tell you things about its feelings without barking mm -hmm. and doing something very obvious, it's like a whole new world has been opened up for right, right. these people. And, and it, hopefully they're happy about this right well because often you know the my dog went cujo and there was no it was preceded by them saying and there was no reason for it or right. it came out of nowhere but if you can tune into something like a lip lick or yawning or shaking mm -hmm. off or any of these you know cues clues that dogs give us that they're uncomfortable then often you can prevent you said your favorite uh, cue is a lip lick. My favorite is the shake off. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. And one of the reasons it's my favorite is because I've been teaching my friends and, uh, you know, anybody around me about dog language forever. And a couple of my best friends, actually my best friend, loves the story of a shake off because it's so similar to when a human is, mm. gets the heebie-jeebies and mm -hmm. has to shake off. And once you start mm -hmm. describing these things to people, and that reminds me of my other favorite example, which is the yawn. And I always give the same example, but sometimes it doesn't come across, which is that if you and I or anybody was in an argument and then I took a yawn, I don't know, maybe you wouldn't think I was so mad at you anymore. Mm -hmm. um, and then some people start to get it. Yeah, sort of um, like a way to uh, change the yeah, tone of the situation. I like, the vibe. Uh, I had a client once I was explaining... Um, I was explaining uh, stress signals and displacement behaviors, and I was talking about uh, how dogs scratch their ears. And the client, uh, I, I was like, you know, it's kind of like if a greeting goes poorly, and then the, the dog is just like, oh, I wasn't actually trying to say hi to you. I was just busy scratching my ear over here. It was no big deal. She said, is that kind of like when I'm at a party and I check my phone even though it's dead? <laughs> like, that is exactly what it is. Right? <laughs> I always give the example of why dogs meeting on the sidewalk or being forced to meet on a leash is so weird. And then I will give the example of if you were leashed to your partner in a bar, but 
your partner was standing at the wall and you had to interact with everybody else's partner while you were leashed to them in a bar in really close quarters. It sounds awful. Yeah. Sounds like my worst nightmare. <laughs> um, but now I'm sort of thinking of all these, you know, wonderful little stress signals that um, dogs give around babies, even when the baby is born. And I have a photograph in my manual of a baby and a dog, you know, a couple photographs, and I'll show them to people and I'll say, is this dog happy? Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm not trying to embarrass them, but most of the time they're wrong. Oh, what a cute picture because they're looking at the baby. Mm, mm, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, but whale eye is a really, really big one around babies, actually. Yawning and licking lips, totally. Um, but whale eye, I often see as the first, holy moly, what is that signal? So whale eye, for, for those who don't know the term, is when you can see like the white half moon of, of yes. the dog's eyes, usually. Um, so if you were looking at a person and they were looking at you sideways, but their head was still in the other direction, they would be giving you sort of like a weird, sort of like the hairy eyeball. Yeah. <laughs> I think of it like, maybe this is kind of what dogs are doing. It's like, if I hold very still, no one will notice that yeah. I'm here. I'm only, only going to move my eyes. <laughs> Don't want to do anything unpredictable around this tiny human. I, I admit that I have very, I mean, so much of what it's going to be like to have a baby seems like a mystery to me, but certainly how um, our dog is going to react seems like a mystery to me. I don't, I don't know what it's going to be like. You know, one of the other interesting things about uh, this niche that I've had experience with is home birth mm. and um, what that's like for a dog. And most of the time, I think it is actually pr- I mean, not, I don't think it's a very common um, thing now, more so than going to the hospital. It's more common than it used to be in the last 10 years. Maybe it's back in fashion. I don't mm-hmm. know. But um, I think it's sort of like the dog observing is different than coming home with a new mm. baby friend. Do you think it's better or worse? Or I mean, dare I say, I think it might be better. Really? For some dogs. I was going to say, if I were having a home birth, I wouldn't want my dog there just because I feel like it would probably, I mean, assuming that I was making crazy noises right. and stuff. It'd be like, like, this thing is the devil. I want nothing to yeah. do with it. <laughs> like, I don't know if I'd, if I, I feel like I'd worry about scaring him or about like causing him to make some erroneous, you know, fair association okay. with like the baby and me being in pain right. or I, I don't know. Okay. Fair, fair. But again, so but again for the I right think it dog. depends on the dog, yeah. you know? Um, but there is something I about... Like, I like the idea of yeah. him being there. But. Well, the only person it ever happened with, because I've had a lot of you know people mm. who said they might have a home birth not happen, or um, you know a lot of things that just don't... They, pregnancy is not a very well-planned, sure. you know, timely event. So some things happen and some things don't. But in this case, it actually ended up very well, and the dog was extremely calm. And um, sort of brings me to this other point, which the same client had, which was she actually wanted her dog to, you know, be in the home. the umbilical cord? (laughs) Chew it off. Um, Just kidding. (laughs) Yes, we're we're kidding. (laughs) Um, No, it was part of the whole home process for them. And one of the things that I started doing after that was assigning mom lap time Um, just as a way for moms to keep really clear on this is my dog time and it's very difficult for them otherwise to have non-dog time. Oh, yeah, that's nice. Yeah. Make sure the dog gets some allocated... 20 minutes of lap time attention. every day. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, what do you think about dogs kissing babies? Um, 
I try not to get involved <laughs> because <laughs> um, I'll never forget a Victoria Stillwell episode um, when she, you know, went around pointing out all the germs that were present in a home with wee-wee pads um, mm. and, you know, dogs walking around and kissing the baby's face and stuff. So in Manhattan, that's a really common thing. You know, you have dog wee-wee pads, and especially when you have a new baby, I can't imagine mm. it's easy to do everything. So, but if they're dog pads and they're kissing the baby, I mean, it's not sanitary. It's certainly not. But did anyone's baby die from this? I don't know. I can't count, but... Dogs have been around new babies for centuries. True. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know the scientific, you know, um, background. Well, you know, it just makes me think that one one small thing that maybe we should start doing when we have the baby is, I mean, take, taking off our shoes, but also cleaning off the dog's paws. Uh, yes, for sure. Um, I try just to not think about the fact that he's like walking barefoot, basically, on the <laughs> sidewalk and then... And then sleeping on my pillow. <laughs> yeah. Well, I was thinking of getting, because um, I've been hanging out with this dog who's got these droopy ears and mm. this little mustache, and he just drags it all mm. over the city, and it's often wet with other dogs' piss. Mm. And then he comes into the bed, and it's just, uh. <laughs> um, and I thought about getting him, like, a headband <laughs> just to keep his ears a little bit off the ground. No, but um, so, yeah. Uh, keeping the germs away is super mm-hmm. important. Um, but families have different perspectives on this. And I've just, honestly, there are some things that I don't get involved in. So my dog's issues, I feel like, are more around toddlers than babies. Because, and I'm more, I mean, I, I feel like by the time, you know, our baby is toddling, they will have their own relationship and I'll have, you know, a better eye on how to manage how they are together. But it's, I've I've seen him get really stressed out around toddlers because they move so unpredictably. Mm-hmm. Kind of like he doesn't like puppies either, and I think mm-hmm. puppies are similar and like they're kind of rude and unpredictable. But he hasn't spent so much time around like an immobile, you know, being log like <laughs> baby who's mostly held and passed around. Right. Um. And I don't. I. I I have no idea what that's going to be. So there's a few things that I've learned about this. And one of them, um, my cousin exemplified for me one day and I was just like, oh no, like horror of all horrors. She said, oh, well, we totally prepared our dog for, you know, the baby coming. Um, And I said, how'd you do that? And um, they actually give this advice. Sometimes in hospitals, nurses have been known to give how to welcome your dog and baby little workshops and they tell them to pull the dog's tail and you know just do all sorts of toddlery things that would be unexpected turkey jerk motions around the dog and this is a huge no-no for Mm. you know us positive trainers um a lot of times people will say that if your dog's going to be around a certain thing the way you prepare it for that thing is to just do it to them that's absolutely not the case so Mm. Anything that you want to introduce to your animal, you want to make sure you do in a slow and steady sort of half-baked manner. Um, And you always want to observe. This is another filming thing. Um, It's not a bad idea to just, um, you know, you can't use a child in these situations. You can't experiment with somebody else's baby. They don't have rental babies. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of unethical. Um, But you can, you know, take stock of, you know, one of the things that I do in my manual is I say, relearn your dog 
go rewind the story back to when they were a puppy mm. and make sure you have all these observations from when they were a puppy that those behaviors that you noticed back then might come back. So in other words, anything from, oh, my puppy didn't like when I put the leash on, maybe you got over that. But then, you know, does your dog have a leash sensitivity around its neck? Mm-hmm. Anything that I think happened as a puppy that either a trainer observed or that was actually a problem that you worked on, even if it's housebreaking, could come back at times of stress. Mm-hmm. Um, and a handling issue around petting or anything like that, you just want to relearn all of those things. Just remind yourself of those you know, hard things and also of the positive things so that you can have them in your tool bag. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's a couple of things that I found super helpful uh, besides relearning your puppy. The, on the positive end of that is taking stock of what the tools are that you're going to have to entertain them with. So remind yourselves, test out, do they like peanut butter still? Do they like this working toy, that working toy? So that you can use them at times when there's other things going on. Mm-hmm. To like extend eat, extend meal times and create good associations. Um, I would say that's more of like an actual process. I'm just thinking of like... A lot of people, by the time they have a baby, forget that their dog maybe doesn't like peanut butter anymore. Um, mm-hmm. And so you want to have working toys, um, you know, just on hand that they will actually use. A lot of times I tell people working toys should take 15 to 20 minutes mm-hmm. and they don't have anything like that. So mm-hmm. that's an important thing to have under your belt. Um, and then the next helpful thing is the rules of the home. Mm-hmm. Um, most people haven't thought of, should the dog be allowed on the couch or in the baby room anymore? Mm-hmm. Um, but certainly the more important safety issue is, are you going to have a bassinet? And is the dog allowed in bed? Mm-hmm. Things like that. Um, so that's, those are, those are the first two things that I have families do is relearn the puppy um, Right, and if you're going to have a room where you don't want the dog to be in that room, starting that before the baby comes as a rule. Right, right. And, you know, for what it's worth, there are a lot of reli- some religions actually prohibit uh, baby furniture from being brought in too early. Mm-hmm. So some people can't actually socialize their animal to those things. And um, it is good to bring in those things early to get the dog used to those new items. Right, just like having the bassinet out, mm-hmm. having the stroller out, yeah. The thing that I find is the most helpful is actually walking with the stroller. Oh, yeah. <laughs> An empty stroller is kind of freaky, but that's the <laughs> hardest thing I think a dog has to get used to is walking with a stroller, especially if you have a reactive dog. So you really want to get that equipment figured out. I mean, you have to get out. used to it too, right? You have to figure it out too. But yeah, and especially if you have a dog that pulls, you know, mm. getting the right kind of situation there for when you're going to be walking both is super helpful. Um, what about teaching dog toy versus baby toy so i do i i usually base this on the animals learning capabilities um i've found a couple of things to be kind of helpful which is if you so are so inclined you can decide that they don't get any furry toys anymore Mm -hmm. if the dog's you know has a a, um, quality of life that's okay without that some Mm -hmm. dogs would not survive that Mm -hmm. um so if you chose to say okay from now on you know Furry toys are not yours, plastic, anything else that's yours. That's sort of an easy road. Mm-hmm. Um, there are dogs that don't like bitter apple spray and learning the distinction between um, a preparatory sort of, you know, a couple of months beforehand, bringing in new toys and then teaching an association between I'm going to have this group of toys over here and this is the baby's toys, even though the baby's not here yet, I'm going to teach my dog the association between 
leave this alone mm-hmm. when I say it, it means this is going to get sprayed with bitter apple spray. Mm-hmm. And the dog will learn that when I have this situation where I have a group of toys and I say, leave this alone, they think that it's going to smell bad. Mm-hmm. And then when the baby comes, you don't spray it anymore. But that association may have already just been the, made. Just the smell of the bitter apple. Yeah, yeah. well, it should, it should become the yeah. word. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, you want to, that, that is a more complicated concept, but sometimes bitter apple spray doesn't work. Mm -hmm. Um, And in those situations, it gets a little bit more sort of, you know, what kind of dog are we dealing with? And, um, you know, among the rules that the family is going to discuss is where is playpen? Where is dog allowed? Where are the toys? Right. Just being, just being cautious or not cautious, maybe the wrong word, but being cognizant of of space right yeah i think probably can like head off a lot of problems before they start yeah space space is a huge thing that there definitely needs to be structure around um and there is a trainer that started the concept of um it's uh crate gate tether and rotate i think Mm -hmm. um which i have introduced to a lot of people it's the idea that you're constantly having your dog in one of those zones which i think is a good concept but a lot of times people you know, don't want their dog to have to live like that. But certainly if there's a time to be prudent, it's yes. when you have a yes. tiny baby around. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think one of the things people are most nervous about is the actual meeting. Um, and what I will say about this is that I prefer for the dog to meet the parents actually separate from the baby so that they can go all crazy with their greeting and not miss the baby in oh, that interaction. True, because they're going to be excited when it's... Yeah, and you want it to be a call meeting, and you don't want the ba- you know the baby to get literally passed over. Right, right, right. <laughs> um, so I will often recommend that keep it separate. Yeah. Well, these are great suggestions. I'm I'm excited to share these with with listeners. Yeah, happy um, to give any tips. I will put some useful links in the show notes. Uh, maybe we could share a part of your guide, which I, I have found very helpful. Good. Um, which just, I think it's full of good ideas. Hopefully no spelling errors. <laughs> <laughs> no spelling errors. Um, thank you so much, Jessica. I'm so Great excited. to see you. Great to see you too. Our woof shout out today goes to my baby. <laughs> Four days after I interviewed Jessica, I gave birth to a little girl, sort of by surprise. She came a month early. Her name is Magnolia, and I am completely in love with her, as is my husband. And Amos, our dog, has been really great. I must admit that he's particularly interested in her diapers, <laughs> um, but sometimes he lies on uh, on our bed and hangs over the side and looks into her bassinet. And interestingly, the pediatrician actually told us it's a good idea for him to lick her face, but we haven't actually let him do that yet. Anyway, I'm sure I will report back as their relationship develops, and uh, I'll post a photo of the two of them together in the show notes. Fun dog fact of the day, Karen Pryor, the dog training guru and founder of the Karen Pryor Academy, author of the book Don't Shoot the Dog, among Uh, many other really excellent books on animal training. Before she was a hero to animal trainers, she was a hero to mothers. She wrote a book on breastfeeding in 1963. It's called Nursing Your Baby. 
I believe it's out of print, but I did get my hands on a copy and I read it and uh, and I enjoyed it. It's kind of dated in that there are a lot of stereotypes about men and women that are uh, sort of no longer PC, but, um, but I enjoyed it because it was interesting to experience the early work of someone who is definitely a hero of mine. Big thanks to Alex Chris for producing this podcast, to Jessica Jacobson for sharing her expertise, and to Melissa Mahoney of the Channel Drifters for her ukulele cover of Hello My Baby. You can learn more about the Channel Drifters at thechanneldrifters.com. And this episode's product sponsor is the Snuggle Puppy. The Snuggle Puppy is a really cool stuffed animal that is uh, interestingly kind of uh, good for, I would say, puppies and babies. Uh, It has a little battery-operated heart that goes inside of it, inside of this stuffed animal, and that heart kind of beats. And uh, there's also a place inside the stuffed animal where you can put a heating pad. And the idea is that Um, Your puppy can cuddle up with it, and it kind of mimics what it must be like for the puppy to be sleeping with his or her litter mates. Um, But uh, I think you could totally use it for babies, too, who might also enjoy having a heartbeat near them. We have the Snuggle Puppy at storeforthedogs.com. You can search for it at Store for the Dogs, or you can go to schoolforthedogs.com slash snuggle. And the first three people to use the code EP39, that's EP39, at storeforthedogs.com, will get $10 off their Snuggle Puppy purchase. So get to it. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by telling your friends about it, leaving a review, or shopping in our online store. You can learn more about us and sign up to get lots of free training resources when you visit us online at schoolforthedogs.com.